looked at um, also in uh, Peter, in chapter 3, verse 8, kind of sums it up there. Let's be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit than this, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult. That presumes that people were getting insults and not returning them back. And uh, verse 14 says, Even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are what? Blessed. Do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled. And then verse 17 of chapter 3 says, It is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. And then in chapter 4, verse 1, which is the present chapter that we are in, Since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Expect it. (laughs) Chapter 5, verse 10, After you have suffered for a little while, sounds familiar, doesn't it? The God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ will Himself perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Amen. I like that. But he, he says, after you have done this for a while, the God of all grace, where does grace come from? All can come from God. All that grace. Who called you, you were called to Him for a purpose, to His eternal glory. That's exciting enough right there to think about. In, in Christ. In Christ. So He will perfect us and confirm us and strengthen us and establish us. The church was being persecuted at uh, that time, of course. We say that quite frequently. As we look at this section from 12 through 19 in chapter 4, and then it, it's, uh, it's like a, uh, the last section. It's kind of like the third section of Peter. And as we um, kind of go through that, it's the same thing that he's been working through almost every, well, every chapter. He threads that theme in there. And, of course, he has a big section on it here. Um, he's concerned about their living and being different than the rest of the world and having to suffer for righteousness' sake. So he wants to give them really good news about this. It's not a downer. It's not depressing, is it? Really, when you see how Peter really is encouraging them in the time that they were in. So what he... Um, is speaking there. It speaks to our own time and, of course, our nation becoming more and more intolerant, the amoral lifestyle that uh, seems to be becoming greater and greater. And uh, if, you, if you say anything publicly, uh, especially about the sins of the culture dealing with sexual issues, especially homosexuality, you will find a hostility. And if you were to go like this 4th of July, the 3rd of July, I think there are things happening downtown tonight. If you were to walk on High Street, if you were to say that word very loud and say it in a negative tone, I'm sure somebody would really get upset at you or who knows who knows what they would do. That's a no-no anymore to say anything about it. If you're an athlete, you say anything about it, it's broadcast all over. They expect a public apology. and um, I mean, you know... We know what Scripture says about it. And it's just its like other sins that need to be called out. But uh, it can be life-threatening if you said anything of that nature. That's the culture that we live in. 
And so if you if you live strongly for Christ and you confront the culture with just what the truth is, you might find yourselves in a little bit of trouble. And not that we want to go around looking for that trouble, but um, we can become under great distress just um, being able to give truth out. And even amongst people that are your own relatives, maybe brothers and sisters who didn't buy some of those ideas um, ten years ago and now it's totally acceptable and not only acceptable, hey, it's a way of life. You know, So they would encourage it. So there's a proper way to deal with um, the suffering for righteousness' sake and God has given it to us here. Um, we treat these passages as not only written by Peter, but it was uh, said straight from God. And he says what he needs to be said uh, as far as hostility is concerned and the way that they could could have reacted. And he wants them to be uh, really good witnesses as they encounter the culture. Uh, let's go ahead and start in uh, verse 12. We come off the area of serving. And that was, I guess, really a couple of verses or so that we dealt with last week. And, of course, it dealt with gifts. It's about glorifying God. Ultimately, we serve to glorify God. And, of course, it's kind of like a sandwich here on the other side, suffering. It's God's will for us to serve. And it's God's will for us to suffer. And we've seen Peter say that uh, numerous times. And even here tonight, we'll see it. It's his will. It just sounds so opposite, though, the way that we would we would think it would be. Oh, it's not God's will for us to suffer. Beloved, says in verse 12, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Ah, that's pretty good. Let's stop right there. That's That's loaded, isn't it? That is really power-packed. Now, he starts off with that great word, beloved. And like I say, this is kind of like starting a new section. And he has done that in um, chapter 2, verse 11, when he had a different section there. Beloved, since you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, right? People for God's own possession. Then drop down to verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which weighed you against the soul. All the things that were out in the world calls him beloved. He addresses him like a uh, pastorally here, like a pastor. He he just has a love for them. And so what he has to say might sound negative, but it's not. It's very encouraging because they are going through this stuff. And uh, so as he introduces this next area, which is not anything strange at all, if we'll use that word there again, uh, it's a word of tenderness. This beloved, uh, literally beloved ones, as he, as he speaks to people that are just scattered all, all over, everywhere, the elect that are scattered. It's a word of compassion. It's a word of affection that he has for them. Uh, a caring pastor that he was, because we're moving right into chapter 5. That's our next section, which is dealing with um, elders, shepherds, bishops, which are all the same. Right, and and he'll use that, and so he talks about shepherding the flock. And he knew who the great shepherd was. He knew who the good shepherd was, and so he has that kind of heart. This is Peter, the one who 
so many times stumbled up around Jesus. <laughs> and um, we see that uh, the Holy Spirit had empowered him. He had become very uh, gentle himself. And we get into this section that deals with um, trials, for instance. And he's saying they're not abnormal. They're not abnormal. Matter of fact, they would be considered to be normal. <laughs> Which sounds so odd, doesn't it? Sounds odd, but it's not. It's the times that we live in power of positive thinking for the last two, three decades we've heard that. And of course you think of the Norman Vincent Peels and the Robert Schulers and all the stuff that is coming to the so called church, I guess, positive thinking. And this is absolutely different than what they talk about. And then of course your your health and wealth and boy, how much that has made an impact on the church today. Uh, this is a, a radical, abnormal, supernatural way to respond to suffering. <laughs> uh, not not the way that some of those teachers are talking about. This is the uh, the way spiritual aliens and exiles live on the earth for the glory of of their king. This is the way it's really to be done. Boy, this is radical. Yeah totally flips it on the other side. If they would read First Peter, they would have really a lot of difficulty with this particular book. I wonder how often they would teach on that. Hmm. Might be a good question to ask. So he's saying, don't be amazed. Don't be surprised. Don't be amazed. Don't be shocked that life is so difficult. Don't be amazed. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you don't get that promotion that you're expecting at work or when your um, friends become hostile to you or when you might be mocked because of what you believe or you just don't get what you deserve. You know, I, I deserve more than this. Don't be surprised when your neighbors... This might happen in the future. I don't know. could be in our lifetime whenever the police come to arrest you because your faith has mounted enough that you are convicted of being a Christian. And the neighbors across the street are looking behind the curtains and they're kind of looking out and they're seeing you being handcuffed and taken off. <laughs> Don't be surprised that the neighbors now would and the whole neighborhood would turn against you. They always liked you before. Just can't understand this. Don't be surprised. Don't be amazed at the fiery ordeal. So it isn't alien. It isn't foreign at all. Matter of fact, it belongs. <laughs> it just it belongs here. That's part of the deal. We are uh, never promised immunity from any kind of dangers, toils things that are difficult being a Christian. You would think that, boy, you know, if we could go around telling everybody, hey, you can become a Christian and everything from here on out is going to be fantastic. And you're just going to just have fun. You're going to enjoy it. And everything's going to go really good for you. <laughs> is that what they're saying? Well, my, um, my humanness would kind of like that other message. But that's not what God says. Is it? According to God's will, as a matter of fact, I think He says that in in this uh, 
this section that we're dealing with. He's already said it before. It's not outside the will of God. Uh, Satan may be, in one sense, the immediate cause. Maybe he brought something on. But ultimately, God is sovereign over all. And if that be the case, then he trumps Satan all the time. Absolutely, every time. And so really, so God is, is using, he uses Satan. Of course, he kind of did on Job, didn't he? Fiery ordeal. Surprise at the fiery ordeal among you. Well, that's a colorful word. And imagine Barb back there probably is wondering what that is if you don't have your Greek text with your eye. But I think it uh, it is borrowed from the word, uh, what we would know as pyrea which is you know, dealing with uh, burning fire. Uh, pyromania. You've heard of that? Uh, literally, the term uh, means a burning, or the word is used for furnace. And in the Old Testament, in the uh, Greek translation of it, that word is used as, as the furnace. Uh, whenever you see, you know, we, it's translated out of the Hebrew into the Greek. And uh, it means furnace, this fiery ordeal or this furnace that you're in. Hmm. The file, the hammer, the furnace. You ever heard of those? God's way of um, humbling us, making us more like Christ. Uh, the New Testament has the idea of, of that also. Um, it's like in the Old Testament, it's used of a, a smelting furnace. And you'd take the metal and it'd be melted down, it'd be forged, and what you wind up with is what it's melted down to is what the real, genuine metal is, whether it be gold, silver. Uh, look in Psalm 66 10. For you have tried us, O God. You have refined us as silver is refined. I think most people would know what that meant. It had to be smelted down. A purifying process. And it's like, God, you did it. It's right there in the Psalms. God did it. And He's brought it to test us. So expect it. It's inevitable. Expect it. Don't be surprised. You're going to be purified. You're going to be purged. And, uh, you know, uh, the Russian Christians, especially back before the wall went down, it was very difficult to worship. And, of course, there was an underground church. And, uh, of course, they got persecuted and pastors were arrested. And, of course, we hear that in many places now. Uh, but at, at that time, somebody asked, or they said, it must be difficult to pastor in, in Russia. And uh, the Russian pastor said, no, not so at all. It must be difficult in America because we know who the true Christians are where we're at. And it was because of the absolute uh, refining and purging that was happening with them and the persecution. And so there was a genuineness of the state of Christianity there. Even though it might have been very small, it, uh, it definitely would not keep people around who were fake. Um, 
they would move on out of it. They couldn't handle it. So God tests us to show us, or to sh- He already knows, but to show us the gold, the real gold, pure, refined, purged for a greater use. Genuine faith is sticking out, being exposed, seeing, proving, testing. That's <laughs> what He's doing. So, the fiery ordeal will show the reality of our faith. It's a pretty good thing. It's a good thing. What a plan God has. His ways are not always our ways. Matter of fact, very rarely are they our ways. If we were doing this, I'm sure we would do it quite differently. <laughs> so, it's it's essential that God do this, uh, working in to prove us, to test us, to purge us, to cleanse us. So the next uh, verse is actually still in that same verse. Fire ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. There's that strange, surprised, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. So the next part we're going to go into is, okay, it's inevitable that these things are going to come. How do we react to them? How are we as Christians to respond to things that come up negatively to us or rejoice as we participate. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean enjoy. Oh, I love this. Thank, thank you, Lord, for doing this to me and pounding me into the pavement here like this because I really enjoy this. <laughs> we know that He's not saying that. But joy comes when we think of the glory that is to come. And we know that this is being made like Christ. We don't rejoice over things that challenge us. Oh, thank you, Lord. This is really wonderful. I'm loving every minute of this. I can't say that. (laughs) I'm going through that stuff in all reality. But I do know that, okay, if He didn't want me in this mess, He could certainly take me out and I'll pray that He does what is best. I don't really favor this. I don't like this necessarily. But He's doing what He's doing for good. Now, meditating on God and His things, laying it before the Lord, and just that in itself starts to fill your heart with joy, even though the tough things seem to be really on display. And then when you start putting your mind on who He is and what it's about, do you have this inner peace and inward joy, right? And that's that's part of it. It's It's participating in something that... Christ participated in. Uh, whatever we do, it's small compared to His suffering. can't even be compared, really. But I think Peter's point here is, is pretty clear. If you suffer for Him here, rejoicing in the privilege, at least saying, okay, well, I've got the opportunity to here to um, share, with, share in Christ's sufferings for the glory of God here. To the degree, if I whatever I suffer here, it's almost like there's a comparison of how much more glory 
you have in the future in a sense. Look at, the, look at that verse 13. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ right here, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of His glory you may rejoice with exultation. Even more rejoicing as you might have had a lot of suffering here. Well, your rejoicing there will even be that much more. Kind of an encouraging thing here. Uh, greatly rejoicing at that time. Uh, suffering rejoices our faithfulness. We can look at that and take joy in the sense that He's, he's getting me through. Uh, that uh, It's talking about His revelation. That's really an un- unveiling. Apocalypsis. Of course, we have a book of the Bible called the Apocalypse. See some Bibles in Apocalypse. It's Revelation. Apocalypse is unveiling, taking the curtain back. Uh, so whenever he comes back, he'll take that curtain back, reveal, reveal his glory. Hey, can you think of anything more exciting? I think that's what he does with that. The suffering is he actually helps us to um, reveal to us our lack of and reading His Word, but you don't need Him as much. You know, in a sense. You'd never say that. I'd never say that. But things are going just fine right now. You know, But when you're really hurting, and I mean you're in dire straits, then we really get on our hands and knees and pray harder than we did before. And so, it's kind of interesting how we uh, respond differently. So, a lot of different reasons. I think another thing this verse says that is not surprising that you may keep on suffering until the end mm-hmm. at the revelation of His glory that's mm-hmm. the, really His coming back that He gives mm-hmm. us there's no end to this I don't think you don't read yeah. the point where okay I've arrived now. <laughs> that's right yeah, yeah. That's, that's a good point yeah. Paul knew he didn't arrive yet Peter knew he hadn't arrived. None of them did, did they? But uh, that's and that's the whole point. It's, it's ultimately we we know that uh, he will reveal his glory. Better this furnace than the fires of hell. Though. Bingo! <laughs> I think that's how this chapter winds up. That's God's, where it takes you. God's furnace and His fire. That's right. Um, that's absolutely it. So this life is uh, it's quite a ride. It is a joyful thing, but in another sense, you know, there's, you know, you look at Ecclesiastes and 
vanity all vanities if you look at it from the worldly aspect after you've done all those things and you look back and you say boy there's really nothing here yeah without Christ it's absolutely useless but then when you see it in the uh, in the way that God looks at it then you can turn it back around and say you can rejoice in good times bad times indifferent it doesn't matter we rejoice but yet there it is it can go on for a long time it's a marathon isn't it it's not a it's a it's a, it's at least a, a 10k over a 5k <laughs> they got surprised Sunday it was a little bit longer than what they expected and they had a lot of things in the path like big rocks probably felt like boulders that were running off so well, surprise All right that was an ordeal wasn't it anyway we uh yeah we're in it we're in a marathon here but you know what see so for one thing he says to rejoice that's that's one thing I'll respond and then uh, another one is found in verse 16 I'm going to drop there and then I'll come back to these other ones I'm kind of going out of order is that okay but if anyone suffers as a christian he is not to be ashamed don't be ashamed if you're suffering because you're a christian because you're standing for righteousness sake praise uh, you know uh, don't be ashamed and it goes into the aspect of the next sentence but is to glorify god in this name so there's another thing we're supposed to do praise god praise him for this privilege why because you're sharing in the sufferings of christ so those sufferings are not done yet. They're not finished. Paul saw that as um, even though Christ did His suffering, the rest of the body of Christ, He's the head, but the body still has to do that. Forget where that's at. Sorry about that. Somebody might remember. Um, remember, you're adding to the weight of eternal glory. So praise God. Glorify God in this name, says in 16. Look at Acts 5.41. Early church. Very early days. What an example. Boy, were they getting persecuted very quickly. They were on trial. Arrested. Acts 5.41. And... You've got uh, the council, and they're asking Gamaliel, supposed to be quite a wise leader amongst them, you know, they're a teacher of the law and such. And they're saying, hey, well, what are we going to do with these guys? And uh, verse 40 says, they took his advice, and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them. Now, that doesn't sound so bad, does it? I don't. A flogging sounds pretty bad. <laughs> hey, they just got a flogging, that's all. And, and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. You stop speaking in the name of Jesus. Well, they didn't say they were going to stop, but they let them go. They released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, look at this, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for His name. And every day in the temple, and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. <laughs> That's our brothers and sisters. That's the heritage of the church. They weren't trying to be rebellious, but at the same time, that's one thing that they were not going to stop, and that was teaching and preaching Christ. How could they? Especially when you'd seen the risen Lord. And uh, 
course, they considered this to be a worthy thing as they had suffered. That's an incredible thought, isn't it? They just kept worshiping God. And then we go back to our Peter passage. We're going to jump to verse 19. You ready? We're just jumping around here tonight. This is rather odd for me to do this, but we're thinking, what are the positive things that we are to do? Rejoice. Don't be ashamed. Praise God. Another one is commit yourself to the faithful Creator. It says it right at the very end of verse 19. It says, Therefore, those who suffer according to the will of God, there we go, shall entrust their souls to a faithful Creator in doing what is right. Faithful Creator. Now, why would he say faithful Creator? You don't usually see that, do you? Entrust their souls to God, entrust their souls to Christ, you know, something like that. Trust to the Lord. No, it's a faithful Creator. Because you now understand your suffering, because you now understand that this is for purging, for it's for instructive. You understand that God uses it to test you, to purge you, to make you useful, to give you a greater sense of the glory of God and what He's doing. Now, entrust your souls. I like that word entrust because it's a banking term. And it's actually about taking your money to the bank and putting it into a safe deposit. Entrust your souls. Give your whole life to God. Hey, this is where it says, give your life to God. Well, that's, that's the idea. Depositing your whole person to Him. So therefore, what have I got to lose? He wants everything. And we can't lose that way. Um, why Creator? That's right. We're simply giving back to God what we don't own, and He does. He's the faithful Creator. And if He's the Creator, we don't even own our own bodies. <laughs> we are stewards of this body. We're stewards of this mind. That's an incredible thought. And He is most capable of taking care of of us. He created us. And if He created us, He can surely take care of us, can't He? Leaving it to the faithful Creator. I don't like that. Isn't Philippians, my God shall supply all your needs. Because He's the God of all grace. Supply all my needs. Well, that's a good reminder, you know what? That's just too simple and too easy, but I'll tell you what. We need this every day. We need to be reminded of this. And then a, a fifth one is continue to do good. You see that in verse 19. In doing what is right. So how do we respond? Rejoice. Next time you have a, a, a little bitty tough trial. A little bitty trial. <laughs> a little bitty trial. Rejoice. That's right. For a short time. Maybe the rest of your life, as Eldon said. <laughs> Don't be ashamed. Praise God. Commit yourself to the faithful Creator. He made you. He knows what's going on. And just keep on doing what you know to be right. Now, those are all right there in that section. But I'll tell you what. We, we tend to have knee-jerk reactions and we forget 
to do these things. And when we do, we're not viewing it correctly. We're viewing it the way the flesh loves to do. But anyway, what should you expect? That you now expect it to happen. What should you expect the trials to bring? (laughs) Verse 13. But the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so also at the revelation of His glory, you may rejoice with exultation. Well, you get present blessing because He says joy. There's an inward joy that He gives us. The uh, joy of the Lord, so it's His joy that He gives us, fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, right? Peace. That's an inward job. That's the Holy Spirit. That's power that's working in you. It's His thing, so it's a joy that's His, not the worldly joy. But the suffering is is a means of attaining joy. There we go, saying something opposite again there. Sounds contradictory. But suffering is the means of attaining our joy a thousandfold in future glory. <laughs> future glory. There's a book back there, one of the books that we got in there, called Future Grace by John Piper. If you get a chance, whoever wants to get that first, you grab it. I, that was one of the first Piper books that I read. Desiring God, I think, was the first one, but I read that one and extremely blessed. Future Grace. We already have grace now. Future Grace. Future Glory. Verse 13, that's what this is pointing to, as Eldon was just saying. Um, Christ comes back, that revealing. The degree that you have the sharings of Christ, you'll share His glory at His revelation. Boy, you'll really rejoice then. <laughs> I mean, it will be an inward and an outward joy. Now, there's a suffering to avoid. And uh, starting in verse 15. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer. Okay. Any of you here thought about murder lately? I want you to stop it. Because that's not the thing that he's talking about. <laughs> Barb's got this image back there. Don't do it, Barb. Or thief, or evildoer, or a troublesome meddler. Well, that sounds like a tough guy, doesn't it? Oh, he's a troublesome meddler. We'll get to that. Okay. Make sure that that's not what you're suffering for. But if you do suffer as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but as a glorified God. Okay, we kind of covered that. Um, you're a Christian. You are living in a non-Christian culture for the most part. You do your work. You live a quiet life. You exalt Jesus Christ. You preach the gospel, but we don't have to overturn the culture. That's not our responsibility. We uh, we can make statements, and we should we we should say the things that are that are wrong and uh, make it make it pointed. You know, uh, if a sin is a sin, and you get the opportunity, show it. Same time, it, it, truthing in love, but uh, showing what's truth. But we are not called to be revolutionaries to have to try to change the world, to change, to change the government. I mean, we, we have uh, great opportunities to vote. and We can we have a lot of say-so in that. That's, that's still a privilege that we have and use that. 
but we are not to agitate uh, or to do disgraceful things. Sometimes you see some um, some Christians, you know, they would be laying down on the streets, you know, and um, as they're being arrested, and they'd be kicking and screaming as they'd be hauled off, and I don't know, it, it just didn't look like what a Christian would seem to be. They were they had the right idea as far as what is righteous, but the way that they carried it out probably wasn't the way to do it. Uh, not honorable. Um, but we are to be we're to be faithful. We're to be uh, working quietly with our hands, as Paul said in Thessalonians. Not being disruptive, but being um, in a sense that people be drawn to us, so they could hear it. They may not like it, but. Um, we have to be careful about stepping over that boundary, but yet at the same time being doing what that early church did too. So I'm glad I'm not called here to change society because even if I could, it wouldn't last long anyway. I was saying earlier, the Puritans, as short a time period as they were around, especially when they came over here to America, within the next generation or two, um, Puritanism was on its way out. And you had existentialism coming in and all sorts of different uh, thoughts that went away from the sovereignty of God. And it didn't, didn't take long, did it? It can happen in a hurry. Things can change. but it's, So it's a matter of uh, those hearts being changed. So don't suffer as a thief and an evildoer and all forms of wickedness and sin. Then he adds that troublesome meddler. And it's kind of funny. That word goes along with murderer and a thief and evildoers. But this is the guy that, uh, you know, the, the nosy kind of guy, uh, always checking into everybody's business but their own. He's kind of a mischief maker there, you know. And uh, I guess he's an outright revolutionary in a, in a sense. But um, it, episkopos is in that word, which means overseer. That's part of the word. And then it means to intrude. So it's someone who intrudes into things as he looks into that that belongs to someone else. And he just intrudes into that. Uh, I guess it's kind of like mind your own business, right? Would you like the Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. First um, Thessalonians 4.11 I'm not saying anybody in here is doing that. You know, when you cover the Word of God, you say, well, just in case, you know. No. <laughs> you got to cover it, right? This is about living an in order of life. It only makes sense. I mean, this is common sense, but it's, it's actually the Word of God. Um, pick it up, verse 9. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. There, even Paul says it. You don't need to be told this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. <laughs> yeah. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. But boy, how many times does he say love one another, right? Peter, how many times does he say For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren. I like that. You guys are already doing it. You guys do love brethren. We're in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. I like that. Hey, we're not telling you anything new, but I want you to even excel even at it better. And then when you get that level, then go up another level. And then go up another level. And then he says, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Ambition. You know, 
people that come out of high school or college, they're ambitious and they're ready to go up the, the ladder, man, you know. And they'll, they'll take anybody down that they can to get to that position. And he says here, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. <laughs> There's another opposite, isn't it? To lead a quiet That's your ambition. And attend to your own business. And work with your hands. Just as we commanded you. So that you'll behave properly toward outsiders and not be in any need. Uh, I think of Kerry Livgren. Bob knows who he is. I don't know if anybody else does. Uh, anybody remember the group Kansas? Kansas? Hey, we 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 got somebody out there, right? Hey, dust in the wind. All right, got another one. <laughs> Most people carry on my wayward son. That was turned into a Christian song later, but he became a Christian. And one of the verses that stuck out with him at the very first is he was. Um, I don't know, you know, he was traveling with the band and everything, and then after being the religion of the month club for years, uh, Eastern religions and everything, then he became a Christian. And this verse just stuck out at him and he went down to Georgia and uh, started working on a farm. <laughs> it says, to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and work with your hands. Well, he had been working with his hands. That guy is a great guitar player. <laughs> great. And, you know, they had been packing out the arenas huge arenas, outdoors, tens of thousands. They were like the top-notch band in America for a while. And uh, he wrote most of their songs. But uh, there it was. He just settled down and uh, kind of worked with his hands on the farm. Kind of neat. He, he went and played music after that a little bit. I think he has, I'm not so sure, I think he has a, some kind of cancer right now or he's battling with it. Yeah. Anyway, um, I don't know why I said that. Just thought I'd throw in a point or two. Just trying to waste time. No, I need to close this out because we got one other verse here. Oh yeah, that's, that's in. Uh, you're dealing with Thessalonians. It's a good thing to work, to work hard, to work heartily, to. To you know, that's a thing that the Lord has uh, given us to do. It's it's a good thing. Okay, the um, last part is verse seventeen. For it's time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? It takes a quote out of the Old Testament, out of Proverbs. And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? So now we come to the part where God judges. And the household of God. How often do we hear that? The household of God. The house of God. We're in the household of God. Brothers and sisters. We have the Father... The uh, the end of all things is is at hand here, uh, as he stated before, uh, or something like that. Uh, it's a crucial moment. And it's a season for judgment. People of God are being judged. People of God are uh, having chaff removed from it, from them, and God is always purifying His church. He's always done it. 
the church has to evangelize the world. And in order to be effective in evangelizing the world, the church has to be purged from sin. And so the true are separated from the false. The carnal people are separated. They're removed. And so even in the whole body of Christ, He takes those out. And sometimes He can bring in severe persecution to a church to show what's who's really true you know, in that whole body, not just individuals. So right now, He's, he's purging us. He's purifying us in, in some ways, different ways. Uh, individually, uh, eventually it could be the whole church. Who knows? Um, there's going to be a full and final judgment. The church, uh, we know, is being purged now in, in that sense. No, we know that God does it very gently, and uh, He will never be judged uh, for our sins. We are declared righteous before Him. And in the meantime, He is uh, making a bride for Him that will one day be absolutely pure. And uh, so we have some of that happening, but it begins with us first. It starts with us. That's what's happening. What's going to be the outcome of those who do not believe? That's his question. So God's judgment does begin with the household of God. He's been purifying it for 2,000 years. Actually, longer than that, as long as there's been believers. But it just doesn't end there. Peter looks beyond this to the tragedy of eternal judgment. And it's terrifying. And so he brings it on in here. And of course, in Second Peter, he brings that out again. Um, in Second Thessalonians 1, 4, following, he talks about the persecuted church and how the church has persevered in faith in the midst of persecution and affliction. And then in verse 5, in First Thessalonians 1, he says, This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you indeed are suffering. Now that's us. That's what he's doing for us. That's a good thing. And then to the unbeliever. And I guess you could, you could say it to us. Get this. It's far better to endure suffering. Bob just said this a while ago. As the Lord purges the church and endure it with joy at this time rather than endure suffering for eternity. Wow. The future. Eternal. So the, the point is made quite well there by Peter. And... Um, so we can say, boy, it just doesn't seem fair that God would be doing this to the church. Just think what He's going to do for the ones who are not in the church. Uh, we know that uh, we will all die, but we will never face that uh, judgment of, of our sin. It's been taken care of at the cross. So we want to uh, rejoice in the fact of what He's given us. Our treasure is right here. Heaven and earth treasure is Christ in us and uh, we can shine with the glory of God even in times that could be difficult so trust him keep on rejoicing that's what Peter's saying anybody have anything to add I just uh, offer a, it's always good to hear a, a timely word from God that applies to your life right now and it's encouraging other people to hear whenever it happens and we uh, our family's kind of going through a little something this week. Uh, that was my superintendent. Many of you know that he took a special position. Um, 
he used to inform me that he wouldn't have hired me if he had known that I was a homeschooler and that, uh, that not to expect a job next year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so this was, it was good to, good to get this encouragement. Whoa. Well, this is real. That is a persecution. When you said next year, are you talking about after this year, after one year? Because you homeschool? That's that's definitely a test. It certainly is. Because that's your, that's your living. That's your way of life. Well, we'll see what the Lord has in store. Thank you for sharing that. You just made this whole story very real. Very real. Now, look at that. Look at verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and God rests upon you. You're blessed. In the meantime, we'll certainly be praying for you and that, that attitude will be changed after this year. See how the Lord yeah. works. Or a better, or a better. Maybe the supervisor needs to be moving. That's right. Who knows what he's got in mind? Yeah. Yeah. That's wonderful. Yeah. Well, we do. You might have trouble understanding that, but we know why you're here. You've been quite a blessing, blessing to us the last couple of years. But there's a lot of lot of reasons. But uh, so um, we will keep you guys in mind and in prayers very much. Talk about your faith, or he doesn't want to stay here long school and you're not putting your kids in there. He expects to put our kids in there. Yeah. Well, many of us can relate to you because we have done it or are doing it. And we always thought when we were doing it that we were. We didn't have a lot of other people around that were doing it at the time, and we thought, well, this could be taken from us at any time. You know, we always thought, wonder how long this is going to last. And uh, so I kind of know how you feel in one sense, but in another sense, I don't. I mean, that's uh, you. You have moved. You, your whole lifestyle has changed, and now you get this. Well, that's interesting how the Lord works. I, I like the verse that Bob just gave there. You're blessed. Because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. That's very timely. Very timely. Well, thank you for sharing that, Matt. And um, wow. I guess you probably would question then, did you make a mistake moving, right? But then you sit there and say, but then you have the providence of God, but too, He wouldn't let you move. Well, we're glad to have you guys part of our fellowship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, why don't we uh, close in prayer then? And.